Hi, it's Adrian here, the host of Talk Design Podcast. I would like to welcome you to a special series that I've created with the AIA Austin chapter. This is for their homes tour, which will be held in October on the 22nd and the 23rd in Austin, Texas. This homes tour I've been to many times and it's a wonderful event. It's really well curated and incredible homes on it. And this year we've got homes from a bunch of Austin's best architects and some really exciting projects. I've had the pleasure of interviewing each of these architects about the project and about the nuances of the project. So when you get a chance to listen to these podcasts, you're really going to find out some special little tips and have like a tour from the architect through each of these homes. The other thing that the AIA Austin chapter has done is they've arranged for webinars with the architects who have homes on the tour. These will kick off on the 21st of the 9th, and then they will run through to the 12th of the 10th. If you look up the AIA Austin's home tours schedule, you will find these listed there. This would be something really special. In the meantime, what I would ask you to do is subscribe to the Talk Design podcast. You'll find us online at www.talkdesign.show and on every podcast platform that you care to listen on. If you can subscribe there and then go to the latest series, which will be the AIA Austin Homes Tour. So have a look for that and dig out some of your favorite architects. There's lots to learn. And then if you're going to make it to the tour in person, you will also learn a whole lot more about these homes by listening to what the architects have had to say. You'll also see on our website some amazing photography by Leonard Fomansky, who has done the photography for the tour this year. So thank you for listening, and I look forward to presenting each of these architects to you in this AIA Austin special series. Take care and enjoy. My guests on Talk Design today are Philip Carl and Troy Miller from Furman Carl Architects in Austin, Texas. And they have a home on the AIA Austin Homes Tour, which is this October. And we're going to discuss the Hillside Residence. And uh, you're going to be able to book in and go and see this if you go on the tour, which the Austin Homes Tour is probably one of the best tours it's certainly in America, and I would say go beyond America. It's uh, it's certainly one of the best architectural tours that you could ever go on. Guys, welcome. And I'm going to get you to just give me a little bit of runway on the firm first, and then we'll get into the hillside residence. Is that cool? Yeah, that's great. Awesome. Uh, Take yeah, it away. Sure. Take it from yeah. the top. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adrian, thanks for having us on the show. We're delighted to talk to you and um, and be on it. Um, so this is Philip talking, uh, Philip Kyle. I'm one of the principals here at Furman and Kyle, and thought it'd be useful just to tell you just a little bit about how the firm got started. Um, it got started by my business partner Gary Furman back in '95, and apropos of the Homes Tour, he had his first house on the Homes Tour in 1998. So We've, wow. been at this, we've been at this a bit. We had a house on the Homes Tour in 98, 99, 2000. So um, in fact, how I met Gary was uh, one of my friends was working for him. 
and uh, he uh, needed docents for the Homes Tour. And I think this was in, the, in 1999, and, I, and I, um, I volunteered as a docent, and that's how I met Gary. And so, you know, what a great are, journey. However many, however many years later, here we are talking about the Homes Tour, <laughs> yeah. still going strong. But, uh, so I and started is Gary a docent this time on the tour? Is it... Yeah, Roperman. Roperman. That's a big history, 95 on, um, and that's a, a lovely legacy. So uh, I, I like that, you know, it, it comes from somewhere and it's going to somewhere, which is great. Yeah. Well, uh, so I, I started on as, a, as an employee of Gary, Gary from an architects, and we just really hit it off. Uh, you know, Gary has a, a beautiful design sense and, you know, it's really um, rigorous way of thinking about putting buildings together. You know, certainly I considered him one of the best architects in Austin, happy to work for him. And then um, we just got along so well and worked so well together that it um, uh, became an option to, for me to be a partner in the firm. And he brought me on as a a full partner. So we ran the firm, changed the name to Furman Kyle Architects and um, have been um, running it as that ever since. And then, you know, so Gary's got 10 years on me, just like I've got 10 years on Troy. And so mm-hmm. uh, Gary's at the age now where he's tapping the brakes a bit and, and uh, stepping into a different role as, um, you know, stepping out of the day-to-day, yeah. you know, invoicing and, yeah. Running of the business, and Run, stuff. running of yeah. the business, and uh, and stepping into a role that he he is great at and loves as kind of design mentor and coach, and you know still very much engaged in the whole reason. Work. The whole reason he started the right back at the study point. The whole reason of it, he's come full circle, and uh, yeah. yeah, it's like it's a yeah. it's a, an interesting thing isn't it because in the middle of it you run the business and you you make it pay for the school lunches and all those kinds of things that it has to do and then you know you come back to how do I draw again and or not draw again but 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 be involved at that level and then coach and mentor others to bring them forward um yeah. and, and pass on the history you know architecture is such a slow cycle business because you know, you, you, you produce, it takes time to produce it, you know, as opposed to say making, you know, shirts or shoes or something like that, where you, it, it's quick and it, it happens and you get instant feedback. This is slow cycle and you learn a lot from um, history and, and tenature in the business. So it's a, it's a lovely thing. Tell me about the hillside residence and why you chose this home to put on the tour would be a really good thing and also the client brief because uh and, and the neighborhood let's do that I'm, i was going to preempt and tell them the neighborhood but i'm going to let you guys tell that neighborhood story and the client brief because they're from out of town and why that matters and why it's shaped what you've done with the home yeah i can maybe queue up that initial relationship and then yeah. i'm going to hand it off to troy because I was involved in the kind of the beginnings of the design process, uh, but really this house took took shape under under Troy's masterful hand, and and you know I think he's going to be great at talking about the design and how it. So Troy's responsible for all the wins and all the, <laughs> all the problems of the job. Yeah, yeah, and, and all the and Gary's distanced himself totally. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this house, um, well, it's another AIA story, really, in terms of like, there's lots of circles in this story, but our client, uh, Mark and Rosemary Whaling, Mark owns a uh, concrete uh, firm here in town, Austin Concrete Development, one of the very few handful of firms that can really pull off, um, you know, high-end architectural concrete. Yeah, right. And, Board uh, form and all this kind of thing. Yeah, and, uh, all, you know, all that. Burnishing yeah. and stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. So, and um, he, uh, in that role, had been uh, involved with AIA as mm -hmm. one of our allied members. And um, so involved that he was on the board of the of AI Austin um, as an allied member representative to the board. Uh, right about the time that I was also serving on the board, um, maybe even as the year I was president, he was he was there. So anyway, we got to know each other through service at AIA Austin. Cool. Um, and kind of hit it off. And I think anyway, I think that he had probably his firm had done some concrete work for some of our clients and, you know, poured foundations and whatnot. So I think he knew us, um, I, but he, he wasn't really involved in the technical side of the business. He was more on the kind of finance and ownership side of the business. So we didn't get to know him as a, as a person until uh, through that AIA. So when he and his wife, Rosemary, decided to um, build a house here in Austin, um, we were kind of on the radar for them, I think, largely because of that relationship through AIA. Nice. And, uh, and uh, came came to to me to us and to to design a house for them. So you handballed them uh, to Troy. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is part of our process to uh, you know we're um, we're a really team collaborative based mm -hmm. studio and um, and doing the level of work that we like to do that sort of super detailed, very thoughtful, uh, slow architecture. Um, takes uh, it takes a team, right? And yeah. so we, we like to put our project teams together right from the start and bring in everybody that's going to be working on it. And so Troy came in right from the start, right? You know, as we were even talking about programming with the clients. And um, so like they're, they're uh, I think the, maybe the unique thing about the clients, they're not unique in a lot of our clientele and that they're, empty nesters kind of uh, maybe downsizing from a suburban house. I don't know much about their old house, but, um, and upscaling in quality because, you know, I think finances are set later in life and yeah. kids are out of the picture and that sort of thing. So um, that's not unusual, but uh, kind of the defining character of Mark and Rosemary was that uh, they're, they're both Canadian. They're from, from Toronto. Yeah. I, I read I read that in the notes yeah. that they're Toronto people that have moved to Austin. So yeah, so um, probably wilt, wilting in this heat wave. <laughs> imagine <laughs> imagine that you are 104 degrees today or something. That's uh, ridiculous. I think today is the 42nd day of the year in the hundred uh, triple digits. Yeah, I, I've I've read that it's the hottest um, continuous streak on record. Yeah. And and looking like it's going to continue, by the way, as well. It might be October on the Homestore and we're still uh, and and it, you know it can be 40 degrees in, in mid to late October as well. Yeah. It, it's 
it's crazy. I, or I've it been be, there with or a, it can be freezing. <laughs> I was about to say I've been there with almost snow on the ground, and I've been there walking on South Congress, going, "Oh my God, this is oppressive heat!" Like so, it cuts both ways. Austin's a great climate like that. Yeah. Well, South Congress, great segue back to the conversation about our clients. They sort of loved the sort of the urban vibe of that South Congress. Um, there's plenty to love. The, yeah. yeah. And so there's a neighborhood called Travis Heights, which just is just to the east of South Congress, between mm-hmm. South Congress and I-35 um, interstate. And uh, they just loved the urban aspect of that, the fact they could walk out their door, lock the door and, and be at a restaurant or a bar within a couple of minutes, you know, on foot, you know, not yeah. having to they deal with a car the, all the time. Can be at the Continental Club or, you know, um, Magnolias, um, you know, any of these places, just as you say, just out the door and in there. Exactly. And so um, that I again, just reminded them of the Toronto, like the more dense urban Toronto neighborhoods that they had lived in. Um, but still single, you know, single family dense, not, not, uh, you know, not multi-res, not Chicago dense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I think that's one of the joys of that area, that Travis Heights area is, is that, and, and it, around a lot of Austin, there's still a lot of great, um, little neighborhood kind of feel to, uh, uh, it's one of the things that I find in the city that's so charming as a, as a place to visit is that you can just be like literally one block back and you're in a little urban neighborhood. Um, but then yeah. you know, one block in and you're, you're there where it, it's got its own vibe and it's got a real flavor and it, it's all happening. Of course, the beautiful thing of that neighborhood is the connected connectedness and, you know, mm. you're close to your neighbors, but then you struggle with the small lots, right? You know, everybody yeah. wants uh, their, you know, s- suburban house program, but on a lot that's 55 feet in the front. And 20 <laughs> feet in the back, back. Well, that's actually a really good point about this one. Um, because the floor plan of this house is really cool. Like it's, uh, it, it works with it being a tight, long lot. Um, yeah, without, yeah. as you say, a small footprint. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that ties into that sort of being on South Congress in that urban setting and part of what they wanted out of this house, besides the fact that you can sort of slide back into this more, uh, neighborhood setting and sort of that. The, the hustle of the streetscape sort of dies away. But then I think they also um, wanted this house to then again sort of put them in a place where they felt sort of safe and even tucked in away from the neighborhood itself or mm-hmm. had that option um, where they could sort of have these three layers where they could exist, sort of the, the, the sort of urban streetscape, the neighborhood streetscape, and then sort of the sort of insular sort of place where they could sort of exist in comfort um, uh, away from all of that, just the, just the two of them. So they can, yeah, they, they go from, they, they transition multiple, well, three times as they go through their space um, mm-hmm. to their own sanctuary. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then of course the challenge, like how do you, when you're tied in with your neighbors and how do you provide that sanctuary? Sanctuary and that sense of privacy, but also get a sense of light and airiness and view and, and mm. you know, 
mm. take it like the, the lot is narrow, but it's also long. And I think the design that we did, it really tries to capitalize on that length to provide a, a great experience. I must say, when I got to um, have a look at the photos you sent me uh, and the there was a floor plan there, um, the, I, I verbally said out loud, I'm the only one in the room, I went, oh, that's cool, <laughs> um, as I hit the floor plan. And I'd already seen the photos because they weren't the first, you know, the floor plan wasn't the first part. But when I saw the floor plan, the photos made all the sense in the world. And I went, oh, that's cool. And I can see how you, you know, opened it up and uh, created the spaces in, in the yard as it went towards the back and made the space more intimate as it flowed backwards uh, down the lot. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah. I might steal all that for a narrow lot when I get one to do. Yeah. <laughs> and and just, you know, putting the angle across it and just, yeah, pulling it down. It's great. It's great. It's really interesting. It's a beautiful use of the site. Um, there's a lot. Yeah. It's nice. I like it. And it's got a... It's got a real um, urban kind of sense and uh, I want to say status, status probably isn't, presence is the word I'm looking for, as a visual um, excitement uh, when you actually see the home from the streetscape. It, 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 it demands itself to be seen uh, without being, you know, throwing it in your face. It, it, it's interesting and you go, oh, where, where am I going here? I think that was yeah. a, a, something that struck me when I first looked at it. I went, oh, wow. Oh, cool. Where am I? Where's this taking me? Where am, what's, what am I about to experience? Where am I about to head to? Um, which is nice, really nice. Um, with the owners um, being concrete uh, crazy, you know, um, how, much, <laughs> how much concrete is in this house? Is there, you know, tell me about that part of the journey because concrete obviously they, uh, I saw in the notes that um, they were they organised the contractor and uh, to build the home, and I imagine you know the the concrete was the easy part for them to procure, and everything else they had to get from someone else. Yeah, I think a, a lot came out of that that he is a concrete contractor. Um, you know, I think we started this going, oh, cool, we get to do a lot of cool concrete. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the first meetings, it's like, I don't want this to look like the house of a concrete contract. <laughs> and so they're like, he's, he's too he much of that word, but he wants to, to, to play it down. Yeah. Um, he wants to people to sort of notice it and then he can tell them, but it not to look like that sort of, he's trying to make it the centerpiece of this project. He's not building a bunker. He's building a, a home and uh, the concrete will be exquisite, but not necessarily the overwhelming factor. Exactly. And, and so uh, one of the things in this, this whole project and in, in, in Austin, when you're on these sort of urban lots, um, there's, and, and I'm sure this goes to, you know, multiple municipalities around the world, yeah. but, um, it's there's so many restrictions about what we can do and how big the floor plan can be and how many square feet it can be and what height um, you can do and what boundary setback you need and what yeah. tree you have to keep and um, yeah there's and, a lot of rules there's a lot of rules and and then on top of that we've got this site that goes you know from from you know 
almost 60 feet in the front to, to under 30 feet in the back. Mm-hmm. And so how do you start to stack things up and create spaces and not end up with a row house? Um, and it, and it slopes and, up, I think about, was it like, it's a, it slopes up a lot, like 15, 17 feet from front to back. Wow. Okay. Going, yeah, going right. up as it goes back. So, so the equivalent of um, if you had eight foot ceilings, it's, it's two stories higher at the back than it is at the front. Yeah. Maybe one and a half stories. Yeah. Higher, yeah. Yeah. So it's a journey yeah. upwards as well. Mm-hmm. So was, and go ahead, Troy. Um, yeah. And so, you know, getting back to sort of the, the concrete idea and, and him coming from that concrete contracting world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basements aren't real common in this environment. Um, but because, uh, you know, a lot of the restrictions are dealing with sort of scale in the neighborhood setting uh-huh. and what they want, they'll allow you to dig if you if you're, you know, willing to put the money in uh, to do it. And because he has the equipment to do it. And uh, in hindsight, it was, there was a lot of limestone. So I think he was, he was not, uh, <laughs> once they got into it, it, it wasn't as exciting a prospect. Um, Probably nowhere near as economic. <laughs> yeah. And so, but, but anyway, so we, we had that as a, an opportunity that we could, could dig into the site so that we could, make this house, uh, you know, a a size that the client was looking for without the, you know, but retaining some of the neighborhood scale without, you know, there's, there's some houses that just are, you know, just overwhelm everything around them. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the goal was to sort of push as much into the site as we could to sort of keep it down and keep it at the, you know, I think I don't at know a, if at is. a scale that suits the neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And and we're yeah. and really one side is a is a fairly large house that's sort of up higher sitting on top of yep. the hill. And then on the lower side, there's an old bungalow. And so it's trying to bridge the gap of, of what even the immediate streetscape sort yeah. of was giving. Nice. Nice. There's a lot of subtleties in trying to manipulate the plan in a way to kind of tick all the boxes like relating to the scale of that one-story bungalow in the front was really important to us because it it felt like the right thing to do from the scale of the neighborhood responding more to that than from the the big kind of mcmansion of of a house to the to the north of us um and then you know as you go farther back on the lot i remember one of the things our client said they wanted uh, Mark in particular, he's like, I want a place on Sunday mornings where I can sit in the morning and read the paper with the sun over my shoulder. You know, that's in such a such a compelling mm. like program ask, right? Mm-hmm. But in order to achieve that, you got to put the place he's going to sit in a place where the sun's going to come in in yeah. the morning. You know? <laughs> so it, it, it really starts affecting... Um, the layout of the house so yeah for sure and making sure that uh it, it you can deliver on that piece of the brief um because that's not going to be every spot on the site when you try and put some other boxes and pieces of building around it yeah and so that like that back portion of the house where the living room and porch goes it goes to the covered yeah. porch and yeah the yeah, fireplace exactly. and stuff yeah push that you know, as far north on the property as we could so that we could open up 
to the southern sun you know mm -hmm. probably the opposite that you guys do uh you know south of the equator right <laughs> well yeah, yeah we we um depending on where we are if we were in new zealand or tasmania or something we'd be trying to orient ourselves towards the um the western sun uh the north and the western sun and um you know you guys obviously orient yourselves towards the uh depending on the climate position like where i am here we try and orient ourselves towards the northeast um because we're more florida climate so the northeast but we've got to be really careful not unlike you where we've got um a lot of hot sun as well so that's our western side so all our regulations are Put some siding up on that piece. <laughs> like it's, it's where your energy assessment stuff comes in. But then we might have the most beautiful sunsets uh, to the west. And again, this is this thing of orientation from the client brief so that they get um, these outlooks, but then you're still meeting the environmental impact that that will have over the home. Um and I, I get where you're going with it. You know, like you go, we've, in your case, it's the Southern uh, that they're going to get that come in from. But then that also has to have a level of control over it. Uh, because if it doesn't, it'll, you know, cook you. Exactly. <laughs> and specifically Southeast, if the, if the client program is to, is to get that morning sun in, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Get it, get, picking that up in the morning and, and getting it in there. And um, the other thing with that that I'm always very aware of is, is the, you know, the time that the sun comes up and uh, how much heat is coming on, how quickly, uh, you know, like that can have a massive effect on you know, the mass of the building and how much hot heat it's got to repel or take in. I think it's, uh, and again, in this case, uh, how did you handle that? You've got some big trees on site, um, and, but how did you handle that? Um, well, on the, you know, at the, at the sort of, as you sort of move back sort of across the site, back to the sort of back of the lot where it gets narrow, um, really in, in dealing with that 15 feet of grade change, you know, we dug down to get the sort of lower level but the, the main level, which is it's it's got two slightly different levels. There's a few steps mm -hmm. as you go up towards the back of the lot, but it's you really have to sort of go up some steps on grade to get into the front porch. And then that front porch sort of takes you back to the through the house to the back of the lot where most of the sort of public living areas are and and sort of and bunkered in even the sort of yard and pool area. Is sort of bunkered in so that from the from the eastern side when the sun's coming up in the morning everything's down and there's the sort of large screen porch that sort of projects out and yep. protects the sort of living space as the sun comes up and around and then in our climate the sun when we're really hot like we are now the sun is is really close to vertical yeah it's um, over here coming in from the west and so we just put some pretty good overhangs on the southern side to protect that glass that sort of opens up onto their their yard space. Mm -hmm. So when big you, old hat. yeah, <laughs> big old hat, yeah, that's a great description. <laughs> yeah, she's a wide brim. <laughs> um, 
as people come to the home and when they're looking through that, getting the orientation, you know, in, in the design and architecture game, orientation is everything. And the, the lot is determining the orientation of a home, but the layout and how it responds to that, uh, the environmental orientation becomes really uh, important. And uh, this is part of, again, this architectural journey and the sensibilities of how that is laid out. So when you're visiting this house, think about that, take in your mind that there's a space where you can sit with the sun coming up over your shoulder to uh, read the newspaper. And this is part of a client brief that had to be um, executed and well executed. And also that we didn't end up with a, you know, like, in your case, a client that was uh, fried to a crisp when it was happening, um, so that so that it could ha- so that it could happen, and this is a, a, a challenge. And then also the the narrowing of the lot and keeping those three zones, you know, that sort of public face, and then the next piece back, and then the intimate piece at the end, um, where it's into the sanctuary of the home, and uh, where they feel removed from the outside world, but into their own space. Uh, I think that understanding the client brief and then understanding how you execute that. So for visitors to this house, uh, the scale will be one of the first things. So you'll see it. The house is striking, so it will stand out in the neighbourhood. You'll see that and then recognising that it's built into the ground as well as built above the ground and then transitioning these levels so that it's a gentle transition, you know, a little bit of a jump start, and then off it goes from there. And notice that the house is narrowing as as it goes down because the lot narrows as well. So getting at the breadth at the front and then narrowing down and meeting the client's brief on every step of that journey and keeping it interesting and changing the transition moods to that intimacy and security in the back and um, privacy in the back will be a, a really good little journey to take with you as you walk through the house. If there's some magic pieces in the house that uh, would be easy to skip or not be discovered, um, what would they be? Tell me what, I, when I get there, tell me what I should go and sniff out and look for and um, discover. And you, you tell me some, and I may prompt you along the way to little things, but let's see where you go with it first. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with one of my favorite things about the house um, is really the way that we split the house apart with pulling the, the main bedroom all the way to the front and to the south and pushing the living spaces kind of almost all the way to the back and to the, to the north. It opens up these these long axes um, and long views that are, I think are really unexpected when you're walking into what feels like a bungalow where you walk in the, you know, you kind of get up to the level of the front porch, which is this kind of odd long tongue of a front porch. Yeah. And you get up to that level and you're looking all the way through the house, through the entryway, through the kitchen, through the living room, through the porch and out to the pool. And it's probably a 175 foot view that you're getting on this 
tiny little lot <laughs> you know, all the way through. And then, which is phenomenal. Yeah, it's which phenomenal is, which to is be really able to surprising. get that. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, we, I think we knew that that was going to be the case, particularly with these, uh, with the shape of the lot um, narrowing as it goes back. We chose to have the geometry of the house follow that narrowing geometry. I'm sure the framers had plenty of, plenty of choice words for the architects uh, as they were trying to figure out the roof geometry uh, and what, what angle to set their, their, their uh, skill saw at to, to get the roof rafters cut just right. Exactly. Um, exactly. I'm but, sure they did. But then like when you're back in the, like I love it also from the, from the main bedroom, there's these windows that we very carefully placed again to let in that morning Southeast light. Yeah. But when you're standing at the foot of the bed, you again get that really long view that feels like impossibly long, but it Way also down feels, the lot. Yeah. Yeah. Takes you, takes you it right also down. Feels super private. The landscape architect um, did a great job of making this little pocket garden in front of that, that you don't occupy, but you'd look out onto. Mm -hmm. um, so just having that great sense of that, that duality of, of privacy and prospect at the same time is, is lovely. So I think the, the kind of the, the, the way that we shifted the plan of the house to, to pull it apart, to get those long views is really special. I love the words you just used there, privacy and prospect. Um, well, there's that classic, um, I don't even know who it was. Was it Christopher Alexander, you know, prospect and refuge, you know, like the, uh -huh. the idea that you're, sorry, loud motorcycle that's drove by, <laughs> East Austin, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the idea of like being in the cave, protected at your back, but elevated with your view so that you can mm -hmm. see everything. That's like this ideal um, human condition of, of, of shelter. Right. And security, yeah, like it, it, it talks to basic DNA. It, 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 it belongs in that piece of the conversation of that DNA of uh, how we feel most comfortable as humans. Troy, what were your, what, what's your special secret sauce to look out for? for well, I would think, you know, I think a couple of things. I think that, that whole idea that, um, you know, that the whole sort of uh, main bedroom wing got pulled very much to the front of the house, which I think could work from a privacy standpoint because it's still elevated well above the street. Mm -hmm. um, but then one of the things we had to tackle was sort of setting up the entry. And this goes to the access Philip was talking about that you go, you come in the front door and you go in it. The idea is that you're drawn right past the, the main bedroom so that if you're a visitor or uh, a, a guest you you're not you don't feel like you're invading in their sort of personal private space there's no and, reason to turn right yeah yeah it's just a it's just a dark hole to your right and the door's recessed and it's it's clad in wood so that it it basically just fits into a wood paneled wall mm -hmm. um and and you you know, there's lots of other things going on that you're going to pay more attention to ideally, and then just see the, you know, the living space beyond going into the backyard and, and pull you through. Um, I think the other thing and sort of dealing with these, these sort of uh, 
uh, uh, lines that are converging that are created by the, the, the south and north lot lines that made the house the sort of uh, uh, truncated shape that it is. And when you're in spaces like say the kitchen, how do you mitigate a space that people are used to, counters that are parallel, um, uh, you know, range island connection, and then squeeze these things into a, a, a trapezoidal shape. Mm-hmm. And so the thing we did, and we did this in several places in the house, is um, uh, sort of thickening the walls so that the cabinets recess but, but still protrude from the walls so that they can be square to each other and have and the walls can have mass yep. so that so that you can regularize the geometry of the individual spaces within the room but the overall geometry is still that trapezoid but ideally that still works and doesn't um, really the space feels very normal you have these hints of things that are that are not what you'd expect but they don't not to a point where it's it's, it's where it's not normal. overwhelming yeah it, it doesn't take control it doesn't take control mm-hmm. of it now I, I love the fact that um it, it it does these things like you're saying like uh the way the rooms are oriented off there and they are you know there is angles and there is these pieces to it but it doesn't you don't feel like you're in a, a massive out of uh, sort of like demand. It doesn't demand a lot from you. It still flows through. I think one of the other things I love is, is that you get to the front door and whilst you can see all the way to the back, the way their rooms are oriented, you don't get to see the people in the house particularly. Um, there's, a, there's a sight line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Philip's putting his hand up and <laughs> pointing. There is a beautiful <laughs> sight line. Yeah, that, that sight line is there, but it doesn't um, compromise the privacy, um, which is a, a challenge and a, a you know a really lovely part of what the house is doing. Um, yeah, looking at the photographs and looking at the floor plan. And, and one of the things that Troy just mentioned, this idea of um, these thickened walls, mm-hmm. it's kind of this, I, I sort of think of it as the, those old like Noli plans of, of Rome, like the, the poche space, you know, the, the, the space that you can uh, freely access sort of being the public space and then the kind of the, the, the thickened poche areas being the more um, off limits places. I'm More. like looking at our, like literally looking at our reflected ceiling plan and getting a sense of the pochade spaces versus the open yeah. space. Yeah. This, the served spaces being on that northern walls. I'm sorry, the, the service spaces, rather, the pochade spaces being on the northern walls where we wanted to shield our clients from that, you know, kind of call it oppressive view. I hope I'm not offending the person who designed the house next door but like this really yeah. large wall to the house of the north right and uh and, and so loading up all the which the could area. yeah which could be overbearing otherwise it could feel like it's towering above you and 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 carrying a lot of weight above you um 
and then it takes away from the you know, intimacy and lightness that this home has to feel. Again, yeah. responding to the uh, to the site and to the surrounds um, beyond the environment, the other built surrounds is really beautifully executed. I think the house is really interesting looking with its cladding as well. Do you want to talk about its cladding a little? And because it could have all been concrete. Yeah, and so I, I mean, going along with scale and 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 sort of. Uh, uh, breaking things down I think one is is sort of and then the stratification of the levels right mm -hmm. there's this sort of bunkered in concrete base that forms the sort of carport that tucks away under the the sort of main or, or the main bedroom um, and and allows you from from that level to get in the house into the stairwell and then as we sort of rise up from that, the, that concrete sort of plugs in to this larger brick mass that, that is associated with the sort of main core of the house where uh, when you're on the interior, it's where a lot of those bigger post-shade sort of thickened walls are so that they, they sort of tie into each other. And then where it sort of breaks down. We have a, a standing seam metal roof and sort of not wanting to overdo it with sort of, you know, pulling in every material there mm -hmm. is. Um, use that as a cladding material as well on some of the lighter pieces that sort of move out towards the, the sort of street frontage um, to sort of break down the scale and material as well as in the, in the heft of the house. Uh, in materials as well as it's just uh height and, i think there's and, something lovely about when you bring that roofing material down that um harks back to that you know you it the simplification of it also creates more of a sense of um security and and feeling behind that wall it's like it's it's like it's arching over or bringing down over that roof structure and it creates a sense of security and intimacy behind it um, as opposed to it being a separate, all separate pieces. I really love the, as I say, the, the, it's an interesting looking home without overly demanding your attention. It's just got simple and clean sort of lines to it, but there's a bit going on at the same time. I love it. We're, every material sort of participates and kind of yeah. does something more than just its job of cladding, you know, like mm -hmm. the, that, that, that siding, that metal siding, um, as Troy was saying, you know, it, it, it limits our material palette, which is lovely. It's more of a composition of a few materials rather than just a cluttering of, a, you know, a whole bunch of materials, but it also, you know, the vertical, lines in it to me recall some of the older houses that are mm -hmm. you know, board and batten mm -hmm. you know wood siding like maybe very much simpler era of architecture and that sort of monopoly house shape to the to the front um bedroom wing really again tries to recall some of those simple old, old uh, bungalow houses yeah yeah um, and then it's then it's this bulletproof material that's really easy to like doesn't take any maintenance it's it's you know 
goes to an it it required a little bit of selling on our part to the client from the aesthetic point of view mm-hmm. um, i think they really appreciate it now but i think they were a little bit wary of it when we told them how how easy it was to to maintain and that it was this uh, material that they didn't have to think about over the lifetime <laughs> they yeah. didn't have to yeah repaint it's, it, it, it was up there with their concrete yeah, it, 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 it's down and it's done and uh, it creates beautiful shadow lines as well, you know, as, as light moves across it um, and it adds texture, but it's simple. It's very simple. Mm. Yeah, and, and we ran into those things going back to our climate. Um, I think it, early on there was this sort of push for, for sort of some, some wood, mm-hmm. you know, thinking that would be warmer and and. In, in our climate, wood siding just doesn't do well. So it ends up you're searching for some stand-in for wood mm-hmm. that is trying that to be something it's, it's not. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think also being able to sort of pull in some wood, you know, in soffits and in roof forms that helps give it that warmth. Yeah. Yeah, it keeps it connected, keeps it connected. Well, guys, I think it's a, a, a great looking home and I love the story of how you got to it. And, you know, as I say, when I, when I saw the floor plan, it made me go, oh, and I, I, you know, I spoke out loud to myself, to everybody else in the room, the audience. No, I, I did. I spoke out loud to myself and went, oh, cool. Oh, and pulled me right into it. You know, it pulled me right into the engagement of it. And I'm looking forward to walking through it without a doubt you know getting that journey and if you're listening to the podcast pause and take the journey take those magical pieces and realize that uh as you go through that entrance point to your right is actually all that main bed space and um, main suite and it you'll have to not search for it but it won't be the first thing you you as a you'll observe or that you'll be taken to that the journey is actually going to lead you all the way to the water at the back and uh, along the way you'll get kind of funneled into it which I like I like that it takes you down this sort of funnel and it gets more intimate and more private as it goes back and depending on what time you're on the tour will determine how many um, intimate private moments you'll get with (laughs) a hundred other people in the space i always think of these homes on the tour um and there are some obviously there's often some huge homes and then there's these uh smaller you know more sensible or not sensible but more um restricted sizes uh for the site and uh these houses have possibly sometimes never seen that many people at once and may never again um and certainly weren't designed for that. <laughs> certainly weren't designed for that people. Yeah, exactly. To have all these people in them, and then it's interesting to see how it copes with it as well, um, which I think is really fascinating. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. And thank you so much for joining me yeah. on the podcast. It's uh, great. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. And I will see you in Austin. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. 
Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, let's say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, well, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.